Welcome home. You're listening to the 180 Church Podcast with Dr. Sammy and friends. Dr. Sammy and friends are resting this week and will return next week. However, we have a leader from our local church community giving today's message. Before Paul comes up and gives us the word today, um, yeah, let's welcome him warmly. I want to give you a moment to center yourself. In a moment to practice some silence and solitude before the Lord for just a little bit to center ourselves to receive the word and invite the presence of God into our service today. So right now let's bow our heads together, take a moment, and exhale all your concerns and worries, all the things weighing heavy on your mind, just lay it at the feet of the Lord in the house of the Lord and inhale the presence of God the living presence of God the transcending peace of God the promise that when we supplicate and surrender all our anxieties he's faithful and give us transcending peace all God's people pray amen so today we're going to have uh, Paul Lee uh, come give us the word about God and money his favorite topic. For, for many years, uh, Paul, Paul actually had uh, gone to seminary, uh, one of the top seminaries in the country, in Emory, um, and was a youth pastor for many years before um, copying, I'm, I'm kidding, before going to Columbia for organization psych, to actually use organizational psychology to help the church. And uh, in our church for many years, he's been running seminars in retirement, finances, money, if you need to know anything about anything, ask him. He knows everything. Um, but he's a consultant today, uh, one of the top firms. And uh, I'm really excited for him to begin to share more about his heart uh, for mission. He's also a pastor's kid. We love our pastor's kids, including my own. Sometimes I love them. <laughs> but I want to pray uh, for Paul today before he gives us the word. Um, so will you join me? Just ask for God's blessing on him. Father, we want to pray for Paul. We, want to, we thank you for his service behind the scenes uh, for so many years with the sound. We want to bind every warfare, every distraction, all nerves. And we want to pray that you give him clarity, you give him your presence and wisdom uh, to share from his heart. And we thank you for the lineage coming from his father to him to give the word to us today. Be with him. All God's people pray. Amen. Let's give him a warm hand. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Okay. All right. Timer start. Okay. <laughs> so one of the things, um, thank you for, okay. Uh, you got the game? Okay. So uh, thank you today for giving me the opportunity to talk about God and money. Um, so I do have a lot to cover today. So we're going to move pretty quickly, just letting you know. All right, uh, if we could get the first slide up. It's going to have a couple of bullets. So this is what we're talking about today. Uh, quick definition of what is money. Basically, we want to get some baselines uh, settled. What are the origins of retirement? What does the Bible say about money? What does psychology say about money? What does retirement, how does retirement fit a biblical worldview? 
And then ultimately, how should we use our money? Uh, so we're going to dive right into it because, again, there's not that much time. So <laughs> all right, so first slide. What is money? Uh, just to put it out there, money is a medium of exchange. It settles transactions. We used to be in a bartering system. Now we use this fiat currency that we trade around um, to exchange value. But uh, as we all know, the point of money is not money. The point of money is the opportunity and the options that money allows. So we don't hoard money for the sake of money. We hoard money for the opportunities and the options that we have because of that money. Um, and the Bible is clear that how we spend our money reflects our values, uh, Matthew 6, 21. Um, but in our current context, in the modern era, we exchange time and energy in the form of work to get money. Uh, before the 1900s, the conversation would end there. We would work until the day we died. Uh, but now, it's a little bit different, and I'll explain why that is. Uh, moving on to the next slide. So hopefully you can read this, but basically this is kind of what the situation has been since the 1800s. Uh, in 1881, uh, the Minister of Prussia had a radical idea. Government-run financial support for the elderly. So this was uh, the first retirement system that was ever created, and it was specifically geared towards people that were over the age of 70. Um, mind you, the life expectancy at the time was pretty much 70. So <laughs> you were lucky if you got this, because basically 50% of the population was already dead by this point um, at your age. Now, starting in the 1800s, that idea started taking flight in America. So public pensions started being offered. You saw firefighters, cops, teachers in big cities get public pensions offered. Um, by 1875, the concept of the pension moved over to the private sector. So you see Amex offering uh, one of the very first pensions in existence. Uh, but by the 1920s, we see that a lot of American industries have adopted this concept of the pension, and they put it into their, uh, into their uh, promise for their employees. In 1935, the Social Security Act got passed and pegged the retirement age to 65. And that's really important, because right now, life expectancy for the typical American man was around age 58. So you're expected to die at around 58. Retirement was given to you at 65. Keep that in mind. That's really important. Um, by 1960, life expectancy in America was almost 70. So you see this gap that's increasing. And, and we'll talk about that more and more as we go. But essentially, it went from typical age 58, uh, retirement starting at 65, to now retirement being plus five years. Um, by 1978, Congress passed the Revenue Act, which created the modern 401k. And then today's life expectancy, uh, if you make it to age 65, you're expected to live to around age 85. So, Retirement age is still 65. That's when Social Security hits. Uh, but now people are living upwards to age 85. Uh, and only 13% of private sector workers now have a traditional pension, uh, compared to 38% in 1979. So the outcomes, which are there. Workers began to retire in large numbers. And uh, this was expected. Um, 
they had a guaranteed pension that was coming their way. So a lot of people started uh, embracing leisure, uh, embracing golf, regardless of whether or not they were able to physically retire or financially retire. Uh, it just became embedded in the American culture. It became the American norm. But um, with the onset of the 401k and the fact that the pensions are going away, uh, the longevity problem now sits on the shoulders of every American adult uh, and other countries as well. But I'm going to stop here, and I'm going to move to the next topic. But I think you get the picture. The picture is grim. Basically, you need to finance 20 years of your life. Uh, and, <laughs> and so we'll move on. All right, next. Um, so uh, what does the Bible say about money? And so I want to quickly dive into this. It's not going to be in no way comprehensive. But I think the idea is that we just want to get what is the general, uh, wh what are the themes or what are the topics that the Bible presents about money? The Bible does have a point of view when it comes to money. Um, scripture includes 2,350 verses specifically about money. So it's a lot. Um, in the Old Testament, we see here, uh, all resources are from God. Um, so beginning with Genesis, all the way from the creation narrative, we find uh, a garden of abundance. Um, and that's how God introduces the story. Um, we enter into abundance. And we enter into abundance because we have a generous host. We have God who invites us into this garden. Um, but the narrative continues, and it quickly changes to a different type of narrative. Um, when we look at the biblical characters, we see that righteousness is seen through the generous and fair administration of wealth. That a lot of the biblical characters do use their money wisely, and we see examples of that all throughout. The laws remind us, um, the Levitical laws, remind us to be generous to the community and to the poor. And if you zoom out from, I guess, all of the different uh, individual stories that happened in the Old Testament, if you look through the macro lens, uh, God chose to be generous with the family of Abraham, and he, and he promises to give them abundance so they can be a blessing to the world. And so you see this, this theme of abundance, generosity, gifting, money, wealth, all of that happening throughout the Old Testament. Here we just see one example of that. It's just a picture of Boaz and Ruth. Um, but yes, we'll move on because there's not that much time. So, <laughs> uh, so the next topic that we're going to enter into is Jesus, uh, which is the middle picture. And hopefully you can uh, understand uh, what's going on here. But that short guy in the tree is Zacchaeus. Um, but Jesus introduces a different type of paradigm when it comes to money. Um, he introduces the concept, or he talks with the rich young ruler, the parable of the rich fool. And uh, they warn us about the dangers and futility of idolizing and accumulating wealth. Um, scripture tells us that wealth is a powerful temptation to idolatry and that wealth frequently springs from injustice. Uh, the love of money causes us, causes us to become insecure, unsatisfied, and self-absorbed. We begin to use wealth as a measure of self-worth. So we'll go more into that when we talk about the psychological study, but um, the Bible does present this, and it's presented it to, you know, over 20, uh, 2,000 years ago. So it's, it's interesting that modern psychology now is only uh, reinforcing what the, Bible had, what the Bible had told us all along. Um, conversely, being generous with their wealth breaks its power over us. And that's a point that I want to emphasize later. Uh, when we move on to the apostles, uh, especially in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, 
Um, what we hear is a lot about giving. Um, so giving should be a free of volition. Giving should be generous. Giving, God honors sacrificial giving. Um, give cheerfully. Giving should support local ministers. And giving should support the poor and the needy in our communities. And so in a nutshell, if we were to summarize all of this, next slide, we end up with these five points. Everything we own belongs to God. Our possessions should be used for God's purposes. Wealth has great potential for both good and for harm. Giving to the poor is a moral duty in a fallen world. And five, generous giving breaks the power of money over us. And so if we were to summarize all of what the Bible has to say about money, it's, I, I think it's in these five points. Um, and to illustrate, I want to jump into the next topic. Oh, you really can't see that. <laughs> so, so it is a Monopoly board on the screen. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, so what does psychology have to say about money? Um, Paul Piff, uh, he's a psychologist at UC Irvine studies how money influences human relationships. Uh, there's a TED talk on it, it's, it's fantastic. I highly recommend. Um, so what he did was he had 100 pairs of strangers play a 15 minute game of Monopoly. And he had two types of players play this game. With a coin flip, they randomly assigned to these players to these two conditions. The rich player started with double the amount of money, double the payout for pass and go, and double the dice to move around the board. The normal player had standard money, standard payout for pass and go, and standard number of dice. And Paul wondered to himself, how might the experience of being a privileged player in a rigged game change the way you think about yourself and how you regard the other player? And so it was clear from the very beginning of the experiment that there was a huge difference in the starting positions. People immediately counted their money and they knew something was up. Uh, as the game progressed, very noticeable differences began to emerge. Uh, the rich player showed more signs of dominance in nonverbal displays of power and celebration. So they'll, you know, they'll go around the board much louder. They'll, <laughs> they'll, they'll start grunting and praising themselves and all of that stuff that comes with uh, <laughs> shows of dominance. Um, and you know we know people like that as we play board games. Uh, <laughs> as the game went on, the rich player became ruder, less sensitive to the plight of those poor players, and more demonstrative of their material success. At the end of 15 minutes, they asked players about their experience playing the game. And when they asked the rich player why they had won this rigged game of Monopoly, the rich player would talk about what they'd have done to buy the properties to earn their success in this game. And they became less attuned to the coin flip that gave them their uh, privileged position to begin with. And so we see that even within a matter of 15 minutes, this, this, this concept of wealth really gets to us. Um, and so I have this quote up here from the study. What, what we've been finding is that a person's level, as a level of person's wealth increases, their feelings of compassion and empathy go down. And their feelings of entitlement, of deservingness, and their ideology of self-interest increases. All within 15 minutes, mind you. Uh, so it's pretty crazy. But apparently, we're wired that way. Um, go figure. OK, <laughs> moving on. So moving on to the next topic um, in the slew of topics, 
how does retirement fit a biblical worldview? And today, uh, I'm just going to jump back into the passage that we read um, for scripture reading. So in the biblical context, like I kind of covered before, people worked until the day they died. Um, so prior to the 1900s, that was the norm. Um, Post-1900s, now we have this thing called retirement. Uh, even if we wanted to work until the day we died, we'd probably get kicked out of work at 65. So it's not really the reality. So we have to deal with that problem in some way, shape, or form. So uh, I'm going to read through the scripture. Hopefully we can follow along. Great. Okay. So verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? And then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And so a couple of things to note right off the bat. Um, the parable is triggered by a dispute over inheritance. Um, in modern times, we would call this a windfall event. So big pile of money suddenly arrives. Uh, we have to do something about this. Jesus dodges the legal and administrative dis dispute. So he immediately says, I'm not this person that, you know, uh, that judges or arbitrates this money. Um, I only address the heart issue. And so he immediately jumps and makes a beeline towards the heart issue. And he says, beware of greed, and life is not in abundant possessions. So he makes those two points before he then goes on to the rest of the parable. So back to the parable, verse 16. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. So something to note, the protagonist of the parable was already rich. So it's not like this person didn't have money. Um, it's a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. So this person was already wealthy. Uh, the parable opens with another windfall event. So like what is happening in real life in this situation, there is another windfall event that occurs within the story, which leads this hypothetical person, this rich man, to question and wonder, what should I do with this sudden increase? I have no place to store my crops. It seems like a very practical question. And in modern times, it would translate to, I've already reached my annual contribution limits. Uh, where can I put the excess? What are the other tax advantaged accounts that I can be using? Um, and, but what's interesting is that that line of thinking, that set of questions, doesn't typically happen until you arrive at this state where you have a lot of money. Um, and so it's the, the, the saying more money, more problems is true uh, in this case. More money, more questions. Uh, and, uh, and we'll move on from there. Uh, so verse 19, I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? So what's interesting is that this rich man started off as a certain rich man. But now he's being called forever a rich fool. And there was something that happened in these past couple of verses that changed him from just simply being a rich man to a rich fool. And so what are those things? And I'm just going to quickly just say them because otherwise we don't have enough time. Uh, so one, he forgot God and others. So if you look at, a, look at the pronouns um, that he uses all throughout the passage, 
There's only one person involved in the story, and it's himself. Uh, there is no consideration of God, no consideration of others. Um, and uh, look at what happens throughout his reasoning. The man equates more with security. So the assumption that having more grain will protect him for a certain amount of time. So there's a reliance on stuff to be able to take care of him. Um, and then following from that logic, having more will make him happy and justifies his easy life. So there's a couple of things. One, our stuff all of a sudden becomes our security blanket. And two, our stuff we assume will make us happy and keep us happy. And we use it to justify an easy life. Um, and what's underlying that is actually another type of mentality. It's, it's, it's a mentality of scarcity. Um, and basically what that's saying is that I no longer believe in the abundance that God has created. I am going to take matters into my own hands and justify my impulse to take care of me and mine. So essentially, the scarcity mindset is settling in as he is making this transition from, oh, all of this has arrived suddenly on my plate. I need to do something about it. Um, and all I can think about is me. And so God takes issue with that, clearly. Uh, so in verse 20, we see that God wants us to experience generosity. Um, the first thing that God talks about is uh, who else will be receiving what you have prepared for yourself? So clearly in God's mind, there is others within the picture. Um, and God doesn't intend for our blessings to stop with us. He means for them to flow through us. And we see that all throughout scripture in the example of, you know, folks in the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament, that the blessing shouldn't necessarily just stop with us. Um, there's a responsibility and duty to, to bless others through the blessings that we have received ourselves. And so instead of choosing how he would be a blessing to others with his newfound wealth, the rich fool would die without having experienced the joy of blessing others. Um, and all because of the fact that he was too wrapped up in himself. So verse 21, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. So a point to make, um, because we're not just bashing on rich people, um, we don't find condemnation for the rich simply for being rich. The person started rich. And if he was already doomed from the beginning, then the story would have ended there. But it doesn't. Condemnation is reserved for those who are blind to the plight of the less fortunate and those who have become proud. So there is a distinction. It's not simply because of the fact that he was rich. It was because he was blind to everyone else's needs. Um, and that's where we need to draw a clear line. So. Moving on to the next slide. So how should we use our money? So in scripture, it's clear that God calls us to be stewards of his resources, uh, Luke 12, 42 to 43. Uh, stewardship is active, and it's a responsible management of God's creation for God's purposes. This includes giving. It includes praying. It includes uh, asking God for wisdom to use God's resources. and. Uh, we are also responsible for the outcomes that are obtained through those resources as well. And so stewardship applies to all our resources. It's not just wealth, it's also our time. So the resources that we spend on our family, on leisure, on entertainment, are all means to serve God and the advancement of God's kingdom. So it doesn't necessarily mean that all we do is simply spend less uh, on ourselves or on our family, that's not what I'm saying. 
But what I am saying is that we need to be active, thoughtful, and strategic with the use of God's possessions. Um, and so the bottom line is, is we need to be intentional. And what does intentionality mean when it comes to using money, when it comes to using our time? Um, I think intentionality ultimately has two, two aspects of it. One is vision, and the other is efficiency. When we're intentional, we have a vision of a goal. We have a purpose. We have a direction for it. So at the heart of the issue, we need a greater vision of generosity and blessing that springs from a mindset of abundance and gratitude. So we get swayed a lot by you know, vacations, by material things on Instagram. And it, it's mostly because our vision is very unclear, much like this picture. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> we are. Um, and to borrow a quote from C.S. Lewis, you know, we're half-hearted creatures spending away our resources on making mud pies in a slum because we cannot imagine what's meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And so my hope is that we do develop a vision of, of a greater generosity, um, something grander that we can do with our money be, beyond ourselves. Um, and the second point is efficiency. And uh, this is a book that I've read way in the past, but I, I still like it. Um, the book is called Early Retirement Extreme, and I'm just going to read a quote. So people often believe that the path to freedom and happiness lies in earning a little more money than they currently earn. The real problem is not how much they earn, it's how much we waste, perhaps to demonstrate our supposed wealth. Anyone with access to rich resources has two choices. You can turn those resources into waste, or you can turn them into wealth. What happened after industrialization took hold was that a few people became wealthy, ruthlessly eliminating waste by focusing on efficiency. So we see this issue where, on the one hand, we need a greater vision for what God can do with the resources that God has entrusted us with. And on the other hand, there is a call to be efficient with those resources. Because once you have that vision, efficiency is natural. Um, and to end at 25 minutes, uh, <laughs> I'm going to uh, conclude pretty shortly. Um, so to conclude, I think that a faithful reading of scripture leads not to the question of how much should I give. It instead leads to the question, how much should I keep? So at the end of the day, there's no magical formula or method to arrive at what is enough. Um, but there, there are tons of variables that you need to consider to arrive at what is enough. Uh, you need good counsel. You need to continually revisit you know, the amount because your circumstances will change. But I do believe that people can find what is enough for themselves and their family. Um, answering this question requires prayer. It requires discernment. But without an answer, we do disservice to ourselves and others. And I think we do it in two ways. One, we stop ourselves from experiencing the full joy of God, using us to be blessing for others. And two, more importantly, we lose the opportunity to show the world how generous God really is. And so that was what I had to say for today. Let's stand uh, as we pray together.
we'll just like do a whole series on how you broke that down. If you would have enough time, to just make like a five part series on that slide. <laughs> So if you look at the statistics, the, the quantitative da data given to us about the future of the church, Protestant, Catholic, ecumenical, from the, the baby boomers generation to Gen X to millennials to Gen Z, the giving curve of every generation decreases by 20 something percentage every time. So every generation is giving less. So at the, at the core of the issue, it's not much as who's more generous, but the values of the culture are changing. And so I think this is a good overview about what it means to reflect about what does it mean to be a steward? Because at this point in juncture, one of the things that missiologists and church-wide in the United States people are looking at is, what will the church look like when you're 65, your retirement age? Ask someone next to you, what would you look like at 65? And the answer is bleak, um, because if the giving goes down that much, the institution as we know as the church today won't exist anymore. Now, 180, our community as a whole, has been a bit different. Most of our millennial members scaled. We're one of the few, very few millennial churches that are self-sustaining, meaning we don't need any money from any foundation, from any organization to sustain our mission. So give yourself a hand. Our quality of mission, our quality of production, and our quality of teaching won't necessarily go down if we don't receive any money. Now, multiple churches during the pandemic closed because they couldn't engage their audience. Now, God's been faithful to us. And mostly our families, our married folks, and our church have been faithful to the mission of our community. Now, as the church becomes younger, that curve just historically will move down because that's a value system that people have to wrestle with. And that's one of the things that we're going to talk about in the next few weeks. And, you know, we talked about tithing for years and years. And let me just tell you this, honestly tell you. Some people don't, you don't even need to tell them to tithe, they do it. I don't know why. Some people you tell them to tithe, they'll never do it. Or they'll do half of it. Or 3%, 2%. I don't know why. But the problem is not whether you do it or not. The problem is a spiritual disciple issue. You need to grapple with God. You have to gr not rap grapple with God. I remember when I was younger, a young pastor, a youth pastor, I told uh, my parents I didn't agree the way my local church was using the money. I felt like I could be more productive in the way by donating it myself to my parents. And my parents were church planners in Seoul, one of the biggest Methodist churches. And my mom sat me down and started praying, you know what I'm saying? The old Korean style, you know, hurting me and stuff like that. And she was like, after we pray, she goes, you know, he goes, you're, gonna, you're going into ministry. One of the things you need to understand is the hardships you're gonna experience as a church plant and all this. He goes, there's one thing I learned in my life. He goes, Sam, you need to, and you need to listen. 
10% learn, and you don't need to do it right away. You need to grapple with that issue with God because that issue, one particularly, is the only thing that will sustain the church for long time, periods of time. So I've been, I've been going to church now for 50 years. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll wrestle with it. And then I had to start giving 20%. Tend to the church that I attended, and I disagreed. Why do they spend the money this way? Because the conviction, because it's a spiritual issue. And for those of you that struggle with that, you don't need to give anything ever to 180. You know, it will be fine because the people who God calls will give. We're fine now. But you won't be fine. So you have to wrestle and grapple with God about this issue of stewardship because stewardship begins at that part of the conversation. So have conversations with our family members, with our core members, with, with people that gone through that journey because it's a process. That's, that's the first thing. Second thing is the question you need to ask, what kind of ministry do you want in the city? You want to own a building? Well, we're going to have, have a lot of people have to start giving, way more. Okay, we're not there yet. We can be self-sustaining, but if you want to scale, it's a whole different question. You want a children's ministry building, education, that's a whole different conversation of scale. So in the end, it's about what you want the ministry to look like in the city, for the greater good of the city, and for those who need Jesus. Because we're fine. Question is, can it scale? And the statistics are grim. And I'm so honored to lead one of the churches that are self-sustaining by millennials. Because statistics says only 7% of millennials tithe. That's a really grim number. But for many of you who had who are saved here and baptized and you're, you're having your kids, you have created a community where the gospel message could go on and I'm so proud of many of you for allowing us to continue our mission and I want to pray that this conversation happens within small groups within soon life groups where we're going to integrate young adults with married people where one of the rules will be you need to be with the baby you're a young adult you haven't changed the diaper where you're going to learn now we're going to have just parents leave their babies with you because to do ministry in the city and to really be a disciple, these are the conversations we're going to have to have, life in different ways. You could have that here. And there will be, I really love what Paul said, there's no condemnation in Christ. None whatsoever. We want you to flourish. And that's our commitment in 180. We want you to flourish in your life, in your retirement, in your family, in the world. We want to be examples. And so we invite you to that conversation. And we don't condemn you. We invite you to bless you. So today, will you lift your hands with me to the Lord? And for, for many of you that meet, might need to lift two hands to surrender more, or, or your legs too, or your feet, because this might be a big issue for you. How do I spend God's money? Tell someone next to you, it's God's money. That he's letting you borrow. (laughs) 
So if every, everything, and I really love what Paul said. It's not how much should I give, it's how much I keep. How much should I keep? Because it's his money. And let's deal with that. Let's pray about that. Do it. Process it. And there are so many brothers and older brothers and sisters in our community that are so faithful and so good that you can have a conversation with, that can help you through it. Don't talk to any pastors. We might be a little bit biased. <laughs> Let's make this our prayer. This is my prayer in the desert. This is my prayer in the desert. When all that's within me feels dry. This is my prayer in my hunger and need. My God is the God who provides. This is my prayer in the fire. In weakness or trial or pain. There is a faith through the more worth than gold. So refine me, Lord, through the shall remain I will rejoice I will declare God is my victory and he is here this is my prayer in the battle this is my prayer in the battle when triumph is still on sway triumph been still on its way. I am a conqueror and co-heir with Christ. I'm a conqueror and co-heir. So firm on His promise, I'll stand. This promise, I'll stand. And I will bring praise. And I will bring praise. I will bring praise. No weapon formed against me shall reach. I will rejoice, I will declare, God is my victory and He is here. This is my prayer in the, this is my prayer in the harvest, that part's important, right? When favor and providence fall. to be emptied again the seed I received I will sow let's sing that again this is my prayer in the harvest this is my prayer in the harvest when favor and providence flow I know I'm filled to be emptied again I receive thy will so I will bring praise I will bring praise I will bring praise no weapon no weapon 
about today here's the key the center set rather than the bounded set at 180 we don't have requirements for membership we don't have really membership classes we, we teach you how to get close to Jesus and live the way of Jesus so it's not like we have legal formats even at retreat sometimes we go okay don't bring beer into the sanctuary okay drink it outside the hotel Please, it's a sacred space. Why are you bringing that in? There? <laughs> it's like, we don't have rules. We don't go in the beginning of the retreat, don't have drugs. I remember uh, when I used to be a kid, don't do drugs at the retreat. Don't bring uh, disco lights and have a club meeting in the, in the retreat rooms. I remember that. Because kids used to do that in the 90s. Okay, we don't have these rules. We have values that we give. Say, this is the way of Jesus. If you value them, and live by them directionally, you're a Christian. And sometimes you move away from those values when you doubt. It's not linear, it's sinuous, right? It's more circular. And the Bible basically teaches prosperity mostly leads to destruction. Now prosperity could be a good thing, but it leads to sadness and destruction and it can destroy you. But magnanimity leads to joy, always. Magnanimity, there's a 100% chance you'll be happier. Prosperity, there's like a 98% chance you won't be. Because it's the way you steward that prosperity, the windfall. So the goal of the center set spirituality is how do I, like Jesus, who gave 100% of his blood. Jesus didn't be like, yo, God, I'm going to give 10%. That's my tithe on the cross. I'm going to give 10% of my blood. That's it. No, he gave 100%. He gave it all. So then when it comes to the Christian life, the center said following Jesus, not following the church or spiritual leaders or what they say, the biblical value is to give 100% of our lives back to God. As Paul says in Romans 12, as a spiritual act of worship, a living sacrifice. Not one sacrifice, a living sacrifice. So let's bow our heads today and with a benediction and pray that Holy Spirit will you produce magnanimity like Jesus in us so that our families would be blessed not just materially but in character compounding joy in our children's lives in our parents lives in our sisters lives and our household would be filled with the fragrance of Christ so that our children will say our parents knew the kindness of God that leads to repentance. And our friends would be blessed by our hospitality. And our world would be better off because of the love of Jesus running through our veins. Make us more like you, Lord. Not give 10%, that's the beginning, but give all that you've given us for your purposes. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit 
be with you now and forevermore. All God's people say, amen. God bless you guys. Go in peace. Amen. My name is Minyoung. I'm a member here at 1AU Church, and we're so glad that you were able to attend today's service with us. Um, there are a few community news that I'd like to share with you all. The first announcement is about our tithes and offering. We want to remind all of our members here at 1AU Church to keep God in the center of your life, which includes your finances. You guys can do so through the online payment method shown on the screen. You can give through Venmo at Church 180, Zelle and Chase QuickPay at offering at 180church.tv, or if PayPal is your preferred method of giving, you can head over to our website at 180church.tv where there is a link to donate through PayPal. Our next announcement is about our prayer text hotline at 180 Church, which is available on text at 5397prayer and also via email at prayer at 180church.tv. This is a resource for everybody and especially during this difficult time where we need some prayer and support, there is a prayer team that's ready to help you and to pray for all the requests that you may have. Um, if your prayers have been answered, you can also share them on the text hotline and we can celebrate the good news together. Next up is about small groups at 180 Church. These are smaller pockets of our community that meet on a weekly basis where we can dive a little bit deeper into the word and share how the message from that Sunday uh, spoke to us. We have a few different groups that are all meeting virtually now. And if you're not currently connected with the group, you can reach out to Pastor Billy at the email shown on the screen and he can get you plugged in into a group for you. On the topic of community, we also have a number of different social media handles and channels where you can follow us, like us, and love us during the week. We have a Tumblr page at 180BRG where we post a chapter of the Bible a day so you can read through the Bible with us. We also have a Facebook page at 180 Church. Dr. Sammy, our head pastor here at 180 Church, has a Twitter handle at Dr. Sammy Kim. We also have a YouTube channel at 180 Church NYC, where I'm sure most of you guys are watching us right now. And we also have two different Instagram pages at 180 Church and also at 180 BRG, where there are really encouraging posts and verses that get shared there. So I hope you guys will follow us there and be encouraged. We also have the 180 Church podcast with Dr. Sammy and friends, where you can tune into a conversation and a dialogue that goes into goes into the word a little bit deeper with Pastor Lydia and Joe Lu, who's a member of our community here. It's always a great time just listening to them um, converse about how the message has spoke to them and has impacted them, and you can see how it can do the same for you. We also have a virtual 180 Cafe on the Discord app where you guys can come hang out at any time in different groups on different channels and it's an easy way to stay connected with the community and also check in with one another. As you might have seen on our social media channels, we launched a care package delivery service called 180 Cares and this is a great way to um, show appreciation and love to the people in our lives that, mean, that may need some encouragement. If you'd like to send one of these boxes or just want to learn more, you can go check out our website at 180church.tv slash 180cares. And lastly, if you've been blessed by our Sunday worship led by Pastor Lydia, you can visit the 180 Church Studios on Spotify, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Here you'll find a playlist of all the worship songs we've featured every Sunday, and it's perfect for when you want to immerse yourself in worship during the week. That's all of our community news. Once again, we want to thank everyone for joining us this Sunday, and we hope to see you again soon. Bye.